Are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Does he take forever to call you back and respond to your request? Are you paying him good money to keep things working, but there are still constant problems, slowness, and other recurring issues? Are you worried he's not backing up and securing your network? And does your head hurt from having all these issues to deal with? If this describes you, please be sure to call my good friend Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital at 843-664-8989. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in safely securing and managing your business IT network. Whether you have one employee or 500, Heritage will make sure that your business isn't bogged down by IT issues impacting your security, productivity, and most importantly, your profits. Heritage Digital will perform a no-cost IT assessment and ask you all the right questions to make sure your IT network works correctly all the time, and it's for one low monthly fee. This is a turnkey solution, folks. And with clients from South Carolina to California, Heritage has you covered. So if you're sick and tired of the constant computer and network issues, call Matthew Odom of Heritage Digital today at 843-664-8989 and get rid of all the issues negatively impacting your business once and all and forever. 843-664-8989, heritagedigital.com. Rock and roll. Podcast. Here's JC Sherwood. It's the weekend wrap or the weekly wrap inside the Gamecast podcast. JC Sherwood with you. Lots to get to today from the mailbag, the I Help Consulting mailbag. Thanks to Heritage Digital, as always, for sponsoring this uh, news and notes segment. It'll be short, sort of short. Uh, once again, if you missed the prediction episode, I picked 17 12 Gamecocks. I'll tell you right now, I'm not going to be like, Super duper impressed if they hit my 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 prediction. I'm sort of hoping that they snap out of some of these things. Um, so uh, and these things are issues. So, so I wanted to point something out real quick, just before we uh, <clears throat> go into the mailbag because I've missed a lot of mailbag questions this week. I apologize. Uh, I've got a lot to get to. I want to answer them all before kickoff. Tomorrow, if you're listening at the stadium, on your way to the stadium, on your morning walk, I certainly appreciate it. Appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, looking through it, um, you know, our numbers here on the podcast have been great. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you to all you guys out there. You know, this is fun to do. It's uh, it's not the most formal podcast out there. Uh, but uh, a lot of people like this format. And they say, you know, it's kind of like sitting at the bar, sitting in the car, talking Gamecocks and that's been one of my favorite hobbies. I'm one of these lucky, blessed people where my hobbies become my job. So thank you. All right. So South Carolina's got offensive line issues, right? We've seen it now for about three weeks. I know everybody's saying, well, it looked a little better against Kentucky. I don't believe that. I, I you know, not that maybe some of the assignment issues weren't cleaned up, but uh, they're still having way too many mental errors. Uh, it just wasn't as ugly as maybe half the line pass block and half the line run block. And there are issues. Uh, on offense, more so, that more you know, th- there's more issues in the offensive line right now. But uh, I have a feeling that you know, you clean this up, that means you can pass protect a little better, and that means you can run block a little better, and that means you can run the ball a little better, and you got more time. So you would think the operation of the offense would be a lot better. Um, and so whenever a position on the team starts to struggle immediately, ah, oh, they're terrible. 
you know, the players, you know, they don't know what to do, blah, blah, blah. They're not that good. And I've heard some people talk about they need to solve it through recruiting and all this. And, and, and just let me tell you this, okay? These guys on the offensive line, most of them have been here for at least three years. Turning time's in his second year. Brashawn Lee, who may start Saturday, is in his second year. Everybody else, third, fourth, fifth-year guys, okay? Uh, so they're veterans, and they've run various uh, schemes. You know, McClendon was one way, a lot of zone blocking, the pin and pull, all that, and then Bobo was more power. Uh, you know, so they've shown the ability to to, to learn new schemes. That This should not be taking this long with this bunch, and, and they don't just look confused. They're, there's a difference between looking confused or missing an assignment, and that happens in football. It's not realistic to think it never will. They're playing confused. Uh, and so I, so I think I think that whatever they're trying to do up front is way, way too complicated uh, for the college level since they haven't fixed it at this point. Guys are still looking confused or whatever. Uh, I also don't believe that, um, you know, this is some sort of year zero situation for the Gamecocks. If you look at the other areas of the program, you look at the talent on the field on offense, you look at uh, the schedule coming up where a lot of teams have some warts, maybe unexpectedly. This is an opportunity for Shane Beamer to get off to a good start. I don't, I don't think – I think that, you know, if it were just a fact that, you know, there were two, three freshmen up there playing O-line, some undersized guys, <clears throat> I think everybody understand. well, yeah, line issues, they're terrible. You know, they're terrible right now. They'll develop, and down the road they'll be good. So this is not a year where I think you sit there and experiment with some complex blocking scheme, and if you win or lose, that's fine. You're just building for the future – you're not building for the future with uh, third, fourth, and fifth-year guys up front. That's when you're supposed to peak. And I know they're not their recruits, but um, that doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, because I, I don't – because I've been running – well, maybe maybe there's different types of offensive linemen that can run whatever they're asking them to do better. Well, you know, they've done just about every kind of blocking. Dylan Wanham, Jovan Gwynn, Eric Douglas at center – uh, uh, you know, Ja'Kai Moore at left tackle. Turnitine, all, all these guys that have been here have proven that they're adaptable. And then so you're like, well, you know, maybe they're just guys that don't learn well. You know, it takes them a while to learn. Well, if you've seen them play, they, they don't – they haven't had this problem before. Um, and you've got a bunch of academic – I mean, there's not a single offensive lineman in the top seven that's not been SEC academic honor roll since they've been on campus, all right? So, yeah, these aren't these aren't guys that struggle to learn, right? Academically, you know, some of them, there's a computer engineer in there. There's two college graduates in there. Dylan Wanham won the academic award for the entire athletic department at USC. He's already graduated, all right? On top of that, he was fourth team all preseason All-SEC by Phil Steele, who I trust, and uh, was a freshman All-American. You know, uh, Jovan Gwynn won the toughness award for the entire offense in the spring and isn't playing as tough because he's confused. And when you're confused, you don't play fast. The same thing happened with the defense last year under Will Muschamp. Now, nobody played defense last year, but uh, Carolina was historically bad. And, you know, a lot of these defensive players this year that all of a sudden look like they're fast – because they're playing fast. They were fast last year. They were just confused. And that's what's going on on the offensive line. And 
I, uh, you know, you pinpoint it, you go, wow. You know, I mean, look, all these guys had really good summers working out. Um, you know, some of these guys obviously didn't get to work out last off season and it, it affected the big guys and they pulled it together and played really well. And, and so whatever needs to happen with this blocking scheme, uh, you know, I think needs to happen right away. Simplify, 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 maybe go put a hat on a hat, whatever, you know, people say zone blocking versus man blocking, but they zone block before it's not, that's not something new. I think maybe all the slides and stuff are, are new and I just would toss them out, uh, you know, and find another way that they know how to do it. I mean, even if you don't run what you want to run, running the ball, it would behoove you to maybe line up and run power over and over, you know, just so you can get run, run game. I mean, look, some of the better offensive coaches around have really simple run games throughout the history of football. You know, you have two or three base run plays and then you do them well and you can do it. Carolina still got the backs and linemen to do it. You know, there's no reason why. I mean, look, you know, there's no reason why Kevin Harris should be averaging the yards he's averaging and Marshawn Lloyd and Zaquandre White and all the running backs. And I'm not saying the running backs have been flawless, but they just haven't had room to run, man. And there's a bunch of people around there. It's hard to do. And so I was researching and I researched all their academic and I'm like, well, let's see. Because I've heard these guys are, I've read before it was guys an academic all SEC. And I was like, there's a lot of offensive linemen. They're like that. Every one of them is, you know, now I, look, some of you are probably saying JC learning in an academic environment is not the same as learning football and going out there and, you know, applying it on the football field. Well, I'm going to tell you a little story. And I forgot about this. And Mike Bobo is on the record saying this. So it's not like some super secret top, top secret information. Well, before the Ole Miss game last year, that was old, that was Will Muschamp's final game. And, and by the way, I, I said this on the site today. Uh, I think it's kind of ironic that Will Muschamp's final game at South Carolina was a 59 to 42 shootout. Um, is that Ole Miss? Gamecocks lost. And, and, and before I start here, I know some of some, some people have said when I've made this point, uh, they've jumped to Ole Miss's defense was terrible. I know. And if this were a discussion about offensive production, I would agree and probably wouldn't bring it up. That would be dumb. That would be my, like me using that game as, you know, this is why they had a good offense. That, that's not what I'm talking about. And, I, and I'll get to my point here in a second. Um, what they did was, that, that you know, they were looking at Ole Miss's offense. Ole Miss's offense uh, obviously was insanely good last year. Um, and – so you have to keep them off the field. And Carolina's defense was struggling, obviously, at the time. And they gave up plenty of yards against the Rebels. And so what they just, they sat down and did, Mike Bobo, Eric Wolford, sat down there like, we're going to change up the blocking scheme, get in the eye, and be real different. And, and if you notice, a lot of Carolina's, you know, offense and stuff like that prior to that was out of the shotgun. And, you know, they were running the ball or whatever, but, you know, they and they used some eye and some under center, but this was different. So they they adjusted the entire blocking scheme. Bobo talked about this, and he's like, "It's amazing." He's like, "I got to give credit to all those linemen and Wolford and all that for getting in there and, and doing it in a week, and it worked." And now I'll say this: you know, I, I don't care how bad Ole Miss's defense is, they still have athletes on the D line, and you still, if you can't 
learn your assignment, play your assignment, and block them, it doesn't matter how good or bad they are. You're going to fail. And obviously, Carolina didn't fail that night. Even Colin Hill had time and had a good game. That was his last good game until they messed up the RPO. But that that wasn't on the blocking, right? So, uh, you know, they talked about that. So, so, so I looked back. I was like, well, well who was playing? You know, because Sidarius Hutcherson was there, obviously, and he was really good. And I looked, well, no, Ja'Kai Moore started at left tackle. Hutcherson was at left guard. But then Eric Douglas, Jovan Gwynn, and Dylan Wallum were the other starters. That's four of the five starters this year. And those four guys look confused. They've got 100 starts in the SEC between them. They're big athletic guys. Like I said, Gwynn's one of the toughest guys on the team. And, And he looks confused. And people are like, why are they getting beat? Well, because they don't – you don't move fast. You can't move your feet. If you're unsure with anything, anything physical, if you're unsure, you're going to go way slower. Even driving, driving a car, you're going to go slower, fine, but whatever you want to say. So I, I wanted to point that out because some people were chirping about, um, you know, on social media and stuff about the linemen not being very smart, not being able to learn it. And I just can't hang it on them. I think this offensive line scheme is way too complex. And I've been talking to some folks that agree with me, right? So, the no, right? The no. So, that's my point on the offensive line. I hope tomorrow they simplify it. I hope tomorrow, you know, we see something else. I I think those guys deserve it. A lot of guys on that offensive line could have gone other places besides South Carolina uh, and things really haven't worked out in their career wins and losses wise, but they've done well in the classroom. They've done well in the field. They've been completely coachable and adaptable to this point. And it, it sucks that this new NFL offense or whatever, you know, I guess that's what they keep, they keep saying. You know, I'm not saying that facetiously. I guess that's what it's supposed to be. Is setting them up for dismal failure four games into this year, when everywhere else on the team is performing at a high level. You know, I mean, the other two phases: special teams, um, defensive, uh, defensive play. I mean, because I, I, the offensive line obviously is not the only issue uh, with, or the only systemic issue with the offense. Because again, I don't think I don't think you know. Sure, some players have dropped some balls. Doty's missed some reads. Those are common things, and you can live with those. But you, uh, you, you really can't live with. You know, I'm going to go outsmart all the players so they and they're not going to learn it, and then that's going to look like a dumpster fire on Saturdays. I also don't like. I totally reject the notion that, oh, it's the first year, it's a year zero thing. I mean, you know, some people have compared it to 99. I'm like, what in the world gives you the idea this is anything like 1999? The 1999 offense, I've mentioned it many times. It was a 1988 scheme. They played five quarterbacks. They had massive injuries. I mean, it, it, you know, that has, that, that's not even close. It's not even close. Um. And, and I know that people say that to defend Shane Beamer, uh, first-year head coach, whatever. And I am. I mean, I, I, I don't – I think Shane Beamer is just as shocked as the rest of us about all this. 
you know, I, I, and it's it's hurting him too because shoot, he's done a good enough job to get everything else up to snuff. The culture, the offseason program. There's not a, as many injuries on this team as there has been the other last four years. They're relatively healthy. I know Doty's got a foot. I know about Sherrod Green, but that's kind of you know there's not they're not the walking wounded like they have been. Okay, these guys. I mean, so you. You know, and in in the brotherhood and the togetherness and the excitement and the positive energy, it's all the Beamers work extremely hard. Which is this is what a head coach does to make sure that's straight up and good to go. The only thing that's holding this team back, and again, I'm not, you know, you fix the the complexity of it. The guys get it down. They still have to execute. I'm not saying this is going to be like the 2014 offense. I'm not saying that they're going to be like the 49ers that went to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago with the Chiefs. I hate to use an NFL analogy because I'm getting kind of just sick of hearing about the NFLs that applies to South Carolina football for the last however many years. Um, I'm not saying they're going to be Alabama of 2020, LSU of 2019, Clemson of 2018, if you will. Uh, that's That's not where they're at. But this this offense could be seventh through tenth or so in the SEC. They have outstanding running back talent. Like I mentioned about the offensive line, that is talented. You got good tight ends. And the receiver group as a whole leaves a lot to be desired. But there are some guys that have emerged. Uh, obviously, Josh Van, I think Brooks is playing well enough to go out there and make some plays sometimes. Got to hold on the ball, obviously. You, know, you saw E.J. Jenkins and Rico Power. I mean, Amarian Brown still needs to be used better. I mean, they're – you know, that's not to mention the tight ends like Jaheim Bell. There are options, you know. And like I said, are, are, is this offense going to be a world beater? No. You know, you're not just going to flip the switch of simplification and all of a sudden they're scoring 45 a game and doing 500 yards. It just can't continue to be one touchdown a game and like 200 yards. And they got to be able to run the ball starting tomorrow. It's, it's terror. It's, it's baffling. That they have been, you know, and I don't want to hear about learn. I mean, I, you know, you you have to be able to put your players in position to be successful. And if they don't, you can live with it. You know, if they don't, that's talent. That's players. Got the other teams better. They have better players. That's fine. That happens. It's going to happen in South Carolina. But what you can't you can't do is, you know, this is an experiment in – you know, can I teach this complex NFL type of deal to these players that have that are veterans in college that were probably looking forward to going out and having some fun and turning things around this year, and now they're confused and they look like zombies on the field. So they got to fix that. All right, that's my rant on that. Told you it wasn't going to be very long with the news and notes segment. Again, kick off tomorrow, 3.30 p.m. SEC Network. Uh, lots of folks there. So the I help consulting mailbag and lots of I help consulting mailbags, uh, mailbag questions, lots of them. So, um, and I want to tell you about I help consulting. Our good friend Daniel Owens can save your money, save your business money on credit card processing, insurance, telecom, whatever, without sacrificing quality. Now, let, let me tell you. How this works, you call up Daniel, 843-372-5713, set up a quick phone call, face-to-face meeting. He's going to break down your whole business. He's going to look at, you know, what are you paying? What are you doing? Do you have junk fees? 
Are your rates too high? And then he's going to put together a package for you and say, okay, we can save you X, uh, you know, and you're not going to sacrifice any quality. Cause, cause here's my thing. You know, I, I know if you're like me, uh, you're willing to save a buck or two, but you know, man, is it really worth it to go? The, do you want to go buy like Tylenol from the dollar store? Some people do. I don't feel comfortable doing it because I'm worried with something, you know, like even a, a an aspirin or Tylenol put in my body, it costs a dollar, you know, not a brand I'm familiar with. I'm probably going to sit there and go, Oh, you know, it's not worth the, you know, two seventy nine I save. Well, that's not what Daniel does, you know, and, and he's also working like this in terms of how he gets paid. You may think, wow, he's going to charge me like $3,000 if he saves me too. Uh, so you're, you're, you're out of grand. That's not how it works. Some consultants work that way, not Daniel. Uh, he doesn't do business that way. He will sit there and only charge you a percentage of your first year savings. Not only that, if he can't save you any money, he'll be honest and you don't owe him a dime. So there's no risk. So, Give Daniel a call, 843-372-5713, and give him a shot. You may save a bunch of money. You'll be happy you did. Daniel will be happy you did. I'll be happy you did. iHelp Consulting, the proud sponsor of the iHelp Consulting Mailbag. Appreciate you, Daniel. Uh, big Gamecock fan, too. Daniel's a great guy, great person, uh, great Gamecock fan. So support Gamecock businesses. Uh, I think that's very, very important. All right. So there's two ways to get into the mailbag, the IOB Consulting mailbag. First and foremost, and this is for a while, uh, I got, we got a lot of them. You can tweet to at the Big Spur Pod. Please follow that account on Twitter. That is our podcast Twitter account. Also follow the uh, Instagram at Inside the Gamecocks. There's some pictures and stuff there. Uh, and so uh, we got our first one in from RCW the third. Hey, JC. Excluding Troy and Vandy, I'm going to be the optimist and say uh, that they, uh, you know, their wins. Well, we hope. Uh, which team on the remaining schedule do you think we match up with the best? I'm going to say this right now. I think it's Clemson. No, probably Auburn. I guess I don't know. It depends on how healthy Clemson is. Um. I don't know if Carolina can score on Clemson's defense if they don't fix anything. But I know Clemson's a struggling bunch on offense right now. I don't know if they're going to be able to really fix it. They may fix it to the point where they're going to be able to win. But are they going to be the explosive outfit that they have been? I don't know. I mean, maybe they put it all together this weekend and you're laughing at me here in a couple of weeks, and that's fine. I've been wrong before. I'll be wrong again, contrary to – Popular belief. I'm not, I don't always think I'm right. <laughs> Nobody is. But um, anyway, uh, you know, Clemson's a matchup, AM's a matchup, Auburn's a matchup where they are also struggling offensively. I know that Tennessee's tempo scares people. Tion Evans is playing pretty well. When they made the switch to Hooker, I thought that was a good move. I didn't understand why he wasn't starting to begin with, assuming he starts. You know, they got Velas Jones or Velas Jones Jr. is really good for them. He's thriving in that offense. And you know, Josh Heupel, he's got, he plays tempo. And that'll really, if you think about it, that'll be really the first tempo team the Gamecocks will play because, uh, well, Troy, Troy runs a little tempo with Chip Lindsey. But, um, 
you know, they're going to go fast, fast, fast. And, you know, a couple of years, 2017, a couple of years ago, you look at it, you're playing like eight tempo teams. Well, it's kind of backed off a little bit. So things are changing. They evolve. Uh, but they're still different. Um, never really thought his offenses did a lot against teams with, you know, good defenses. South Carolina's good defense. But, you know, they're probably going to be good for 17 to 20, even if the defense plays well at home in Rocky Top. Is Carolina going to be able to get a 24, 25? I don't know. Tennessee's defense isn't all that good. I think team to team, talent to talent. You know, Carolina's probably better south to bottom. Uh, and I, I like Carolina's coaches better, uh, um, most of them. Um, but it's up there, you know, Carolina's best opportunity, I think, up there would be to get it in a crazy, crazy uh, low-scoring game, which is when they've won in Knoxville, that's what it's been, and go from there. But, um, you know, yeah, so, so, I, so I, I, you know, I, I think your Auburns and Clemsons and A&Ms right now are better matchups. If you ask me talent for talent, guy for guy, man for man, it's Tennessee and Missouri. Um, and Missouri is kind of like Tennessee in the sense, and they play tomorrow, so that'll be good, that defense is not all that great. Offense, pretty doggone good. Can't stop anybody. But, you know, right now with the Carolina offense like it is, they're, they're, I don't want to say they're stopping themselves, but it has been much – but with the exception of Georgia, it has been much more about what Carolina is messing up than what the other team has been doing. I heard some people, oh, Kentucky's passed us as a program and they had more talent Saturday night. And, you know, they want to take a moral victory away from that. I will go to my grave saying, looking at those two teams in person, there's no talent difference between Kentucky and South Carolina. And Mark Stoops has been there for, what, nine years? Raw talent, you know, I'd venture to say there's probably more NFL players on the field Saturday night in Garnet than in white and blue. So there you go, Rob. Hope, uh, hope you, I answered that question for you. Appreciate it. Thomas Brady Ham. All right. These are long. All right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Okay. No, there's two of them. Good. All right. He says, maybe a dumb question. What causes some quarterback recruits to overperform while others underperform? I couldn't help but notice that Clemson's quarterback looks nothing like Trevor Lawrence while well, he's a five-star as well. Personally, I think USC is in a better position now than Clemson because I think Beamer has the cultural aspect down more than Clemson. I watched both games. Carolina has no lack of players given their all. Clemson just looks like a group of individuals at the moment where it's not what they can do for the team. Just curious. All right, so so I've got several points here. First of all, you know, Clemson's culture not being good. I, I don't – I think Clemson's culture is what facilitated their rise. And so – it's hard for me to say right now that as a program, not necessarily a team, but as a program, there's something wrong with Clemson's culture. I do think that when you – and I said this when they were recruiting. They started recruiting nationally, right? I do think that when you look at when Clemson first rose, 2015, 16, 17, and then 18, a lot of guys from the Carolinas, Georgia – Virginia, Florida, the places Clemson normally recruits. Um, 
And that first team, the 2016 team that broke through, a bunch of kids from South Carolina start. Um, and, and, you know, so that's kind of the fabric of Clemson football. You know, when people were talking about Clemson struggling to recruit because of the NIL, I was like, well, all they have to do is gear down and do what they did to build a national championship team and they'll be fine. And, yes, they went and got – they had five-star guys. You, had to, you know, and their quarterbacks have hit Deshaun Watson, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and, you know, you get a Christian Wilkins from the East Coast. I mean, you know, it wasn't all from the Carolinas. But, uh, you know, then you start going, you're looking at the film for kids across the country. You're Clemson. You're top of the world. But you don't always, you know – some of those guys, you get too many of those highly recruited guys. Yeah, they don't always get it. They don't understand. Well, what's this? You know, I'm a superstar, and I'm not necessarily saying that's what's going on at Clemson. I think I think Clemson's issues are personnel, uh, and no, DJ's not as good as those other two. And it was, you know, crazy for people to think that. I mean, he's a guy that's a big guy. He's got a big, strong, powerful arm. Uh, he's out-muscled people. He's out-thrown people. I mean, kind of like a Jamarcus Russell. I mean, he's like Jamarcus Russell between Jamarcus Russell and Dante Culpepper would be like that. And those guys were good. Russell was the top pick in the draft. Culpepper was great in the NFL for a while. Um, But I don't see that so far this year, but he's a freshman. And everybody went gaga last year because he played well. If you look at it, man, Travis Etienne was huge in those games. I guess Notre Dame and, and BC, they don't have him. They've had injuries. You know, you got, you know, some of those running backs they've had haven't necessarily emerged yet. They've lost Melosi to Wisconsin, Demarcus Bowman to Florida. Offensive line issues uh, like Carolina. Uh, and then they don't have, they don't have like that burner slot receiver or that guy like Hunter Renfro that can really on plays bail you out and make you pay. And they're all – the receivers are really good. They're all just – you know, you got Justin Ross, and then you got a bunch of bigger, freaky guys, right? Uh, and so that's um, that's sort of my take on Clemson. So, I, you know, I would I, – I, you ask what, what causes a quarterback to overperform or underperform. Uh, if I knew that, I'd move to Vegas, probably never come back. Because <laughs> I've seen guys that I thought were locks, and 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 everybody else. It wasn't me standing on an island saying that. It was everybody else. I mean, there was consensus, and boy, they ended up sucking. And then you then you have guys that that you know come from out of nowhere, like uh, Kyle Trask last year, Trey Lance, you know. Uh, and that's kind of what makes it fun because you just you just never know, and and that's why. You know, when I encourage people to not worry so much about the star ratings um, when it when it pertains to individual players, what what I'm saying, I'm not being like a homer and sitting there saying, "Well, Carolina's three stars will beat y'all's fives. That's not true because, and I, I will tell you, that's not true uh, if you just line them up like that because eventually, you know, you have a bunch of five stars. Even if some don't pan out, you still got others. You know, a bunch of three stars, a lot of those are going to pan out, but some aren't. And so that's your talent deal. So, um, but anyway, the, the reason I say that is that, you know, if you look at a guy that has a skill set, you know, you, you don't want to crap all over him before he plays it down, you know, because of his star rating, because he could be good. He could be good. And you got to look at the skill set and say, well, is there a chance? And then, you know, these guys have a chance, and then it's up to them a lot of times. You know, it, it, it's really up to DJ. 
up at Clemson this summer to decide how good he was going to be. I don't know if he, you know, Debo says he works hard. I don't know. You know, I don't know what's, I don't know what's going on, but uh, I don't cover Clemson. And uh, the minute I start talking about Clemson too much, you know, about them struggling to you guys, you're going to turn on the Boston College game tomorrow. They're going to be at 52 to six and you're going to be like, ah, they're back. <laughs> so that happens. Thomas. Thanks, man. Um, Jim says he's got a couple of questions here at golf Cox. Remember it's at the big spur pod. If you want to tweet to inside the game Cox podcast to get it on the, I help consulting mailbag. He says, JC, I know we have a different coaching staff and do see a better product overall, but still can't understand why the offense is so bad. The offensive line looks like almost a new unit full of freshmen. The different style can't be causing this many mistakes. Jim, it actually is. It's not It's not a different style. It's a different system, same style, that these guys have gone out and executed for three or four years. It's too complicated for these guys. And you're right. They do look like freshmen. And it's a shame. I'm, I feel bad for them. You know, these guys all – these guys could have – Dylan Wanham and Javon Gwynn and uh, Ja'Kai Moore and Jalen Nichols and Rashad, all these guys could have named their school to go get in the portal and leave, right? And, and they stuck it around and, and, and you know, and, and bought into what Beamer was doing and got to credit Shane with that, and all that good stuff. And they stuck around. And then now there's this coaching malpractice for four games where they're shoved out on the field. Now they have terrible tape simply because they want to install something that these guys obviously are having trouble grasping. Um, go turn on the tape from last year, the Ole Miss game. They're not slow learners. I mean, not, not you. I wasn't talking about you turn on the tape. Maybe the, the powers that be should, okay? Um, so, uh you know that that's that's what needs to be done, and and that's not the only issue that needs to be fixed on offense. I'm not saying if you simplify the blocking scheme, they're going to go up and down the field, but that's the way to fix the offensive line, in my opinion, because it's, it's not like these guys can't play. I mean, we've seen it; we've got proof. And you know, in, in the like I mentioned, the Ole Miss game last year, they learned a whole new scheme in a week and went out and had their best game. And as I said earlier, I know Ole Miss was terrible on defense, but that doesn't really matter because, you know, right now there's terrible defenses that are running through the offensive line because the line doesn't know what to do. Jim has another one. I agree with your idea of spreading the offense out. I'm sure Satterfield and Beamer have thought about that too. wonder if they're the type to try something new. Are they just going to keep doing what they're doing until it works or something worse happens? I don't know how you keep doing what you're doing exactly, uh, like I said, I've talked about what to do with line. I mean, I think you just need to say, all right, we're going to, we're going to have like, you know, here's how, here, here's how we're going to block from now on. And if you have to, if you have to switch back to getting a hat on the hat and, and running power all day, I think that's what you got to do. Uh, it's probably in the playbook somewhere. Um, and then, you know, and simplify it. Uh, and get a handful of good run blocking plays you can do and then have your passing game, you got to do it. I mean, you, you can't just sit around and run into a brick wall over and over and hope it works because it's not working. And, and it's not worked against three different levels of defense so far. ECU, 
not so great. Georgia, great. Kentucky, kind of middle of the pack SEC. Thanks, Jim. Riddle says, JC, knowing that we have quite a few seniors or talents on defense that could be gone after this year, is it realistic to think the guys coming in could replace them and sustain the play we saw or possibly improve in year two of white system? You know, I got to figure out, Riddle, who's exactly coming back, um, who's leaving, that kind of thing. There are some a lot of potential departures, uh, guys that will go to the NFL, but, but I have to kind of see that, you know, off the top of my head, linebacker will have Debo Williams and Mo Caba back. Sherrod Green could actually come back if he wanted. Um, I don't know if Brad John, like Brad Johnson has another year, but uh, you've got some DBs. Cam Smith still relatively young. You know, so you've got some guys, you know, I, and I don't know. I, I'll have to, like, dig into that during the offseason. Um, is it realistic that next year's defense could be better? It just kind of depends who comes back and – all that good stuff. I, I I think this defense this year has, has been really good so far. Not perfect. Not the most dominant group they've ever had at Carolina. But good enough to win games uh, and probably top half of the SEC. Now, we'll see if it holds up. Uh, because if the offense can't start scoring, the defense is just going to get tired. You know, that's, that's how you wear out a good defense is if the offense is terrible and they're on the field all day. Uh, but I appreciate your question. As always, keep those questions coming again at the big spur pod. Um, Baxter JC, do you know why Doty has been pushing the running backs after he ends the ball? Saw it a few times in the Kentucky game. The one time it even knocked Kevin Harris off balance. This is another baffling thing that I don't understand. I, I guess Zeb Nolan had did, uh, done it. Um, if I can do my comic Jim Jeffries voice, don't do that, Zeb. I, I think it's absolutely stupid. Uh, and I'm not calling Luke Doty or Zeb Nolan stupid. Uh, I get it that sometimes in high school it's been done and all that. Somebody needs to tell them to stop. They're having enough trouble running the ball. How are you going to sit there and get knock your running back off balance? You know? And, and like again, I'm not getting on Luke Doty. It's up to the coaches to stop it. You know, and so hopefully that's done. I mean, because like I said, they're having a poor Kevin Harris doesn't have anywhere to run. You're gonna shove him in the back. Running, running, running back is is uh, balance and footwork and vision and go. You know the the, the and and look, let, let me <laughs> and you do it at midfield too. I've seen quarterbacks push the pile when it's like fourth and goal, and you got to score the winning touchdown. Yeah, you get behind him and put – you've seen that happen. I think Steven Garcia did it with Lattimore in the swamp that year, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it was a big scrum, but the, the little shove, like, what is that? Baxter, I have no idea. If I see it again, I may just go to the beach for the rest of the season. <laughs> it's been a long week. Um, and not just because the Gamecocks lost, folks. Uh, Christian. Hey, JC, appreciate all you do with the podcast. Helps me get through my day at work. Brad, I'm glad I can help Christian. This one's coming out on Saturday, so hopefully it helps you before the game. A little Gamecock talk in the morning with your game day experience. My question is, it may be dumb. If you could change one Gamecock football loss in the history of the program to a win, which one would it be and why? Oh, I've answered this before, and I love answering it. It's uh, obviously there's two, and you really can't differentiate between the two. Uh, they're the, the two most costly losses uh, 
in Carolina football history, and you could be looking up at williams Bryce Stadium and see a banner that says National Champions 1984-2013, had possibly, I'm not guaranteeing it, but possibly had these games gone the other way. These games cost Carolina from getting into the National Championship picture in third bowl season. Okay. 84 game at Navy. Carolina's undefeated. Huge win over Florida State. Napoleon McCollum is Navy's best player. They're starting, and he's out. Starting quarterback's out for Navy. Starting receiver's out for Navy. It's in Annapolis, though. It's up there. Cold day right before November before Clemson. Gamecocks played the absolute – I mean, I, I don't know what was wrong with them that day. Absolute worst game ever. They're down 38-7 to before losing 38-21. Shocking – one of the most shocking upsets in college football that year. Carolina rallies. They go beat Clemson. Back then, the way they did bowl games was kind of dumb or, or not dumb, but an administration made a dumb decision, and, and it may not have really been on them because the idea was South Carolina was going to go play Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl for the national championship or, or Nebraska, somebody like that. Because the Big Eight champ, which was Nebraska-Oklahoma, they went to the Orange Bowl in Miami every year, and that's that's what was going on. I mean, my parents uh, went to every game in 84, and they had a little uh, – Stickers with the orange. Remember the King Orange guy for the Orange Bowl. Um, and so that they had, they ended up in the Gator Bowl because it's only a Sugar Bowl was going to take them and didn't. And you know, going to Gator Bowl was great and all, but they ended up losing to Oklahoma State. But uh, you know, Carolina still hasn't been to one of the quote unquote major bowls. I know the Peach Bowl is a major bowl now. When Carolina played in it, it wasn't. Uh, so. You know, that's still kind of a, a duh on the program. It's not going to a major bowl. But it's actually easier to get there now than ever. So that was that. You know, Carolina beats Navy, and then they beat Clemson the following week. They're playing for all the marbles. If you look at that time period, Georgia won at 80, Clemson won at 80, or 81. Carolina turns around and wins at 84. All of a sudden, you get kind of a power triangle um, down there. But it didn't happen. So, didn't happen, didn't get close again until 2013. Now, 2013 is an interesting year because I think that team was not as good as 2011 and 2012 where the schedule kind of kept Carolina out of Atlanta. So, so here's 2013. And this 2013 team probably wasn't as good, but they knew how to win. Uh, most games, they, you know, they beat UCF, which at the time had their best in school history. At UCF, so, so they, they they had like like two or three top ten road wins, or top ten wins. You know, they beat Clemson, who won the Orange Bowl. They beat UCF, that won the Fiesta Bowl. They beat Missouri, which was in the top five on the road, and an amazing comeback. But the most costly loss was against Butch Jones, champion of life, and his first Tennessee team. Now, keep in mind, this was before Butch recruited all those good players. This was based on Derek Dooley's recruiting and some guys left over from Lane Kiffin and Justin Worley, who the Gamecocks had passed on, was a quarterback for them. And for some reason, Carolina's offense, after scoring 52 at Arkansas the week before, they they tried something different. They tried to go back to the fun and gut with Spurrier dialing it up. And it just didn't work. They didn't run the football. They, they, they had a big – Tennessee had a 400-pound defensive tackle. 
the stuff, the line, that was his best game he'd ever played. Never played well that well again. Um, late in the game, I mean, Carolina sees control, but then Ahmad Christian, I remember him. Uh, and this is where recruiting can get you because at defensive back, there were some guys that kind of weren't all that good, you know, that replaced the Gilmores of the world and Hobbs of the world. Ahmad Christian, he's only got a kid named Marquez North. It was a true freshman out of Charlotte. Again, recruiting. South Carolina didn't really, you know, he ended up going to Tennessee for whatever reason. He's a big 6'4 guy. I don't know how his career ended up going, but this was he was freshman, pretty good. So here's Justin Worley, Northwestern High School. Clowney, who was, you know, that defensive line was poorly coached that year. Clowney had some big hits in that game, though. Here comes Clowney from South Point, right? So it's a Rock Hill battle. He comes off the edge. He's a half inch from just obliterating Justin Worley and saving the day, if you will. Worley gets the pass off. North is on Christian. Christian has covers. North jumps up over the top of him because he's 6'5". Ahmad was like six foot. Makes one of the most ridiculous catches I've ever seen. Tennessee drives down the field, kicks a field goal as time expired and upsets the Gamecocks 23-21. Carolina the next week goes and beats Missouri and ends up winning out. Um, Carolina could have still gone to Atlanta had Texas A&M not crapped the bed at Missouri later that year. What was costly about the Tennessee loss is, you know, Carolina was sitting on one loss at Georgia early in the season. Um, and a lot of things happened in college football late. It was kind of a chaotic end. And this was the last year of the BCS, right? You had Florida State with Jameis Winston, shoe-in, dominant. Uh, already in the national championship game was in the Rose Bowl. So Jim, that was Jimbo Fisher's best team. Uh, they were dominant. I remember they beat Clemson 51-14 to at Death Valley. That's how good they were. But Auburn had the kick six game that year and beat Bama, and then they got to go to Atlanta. Well – so you're like, well, Carolina can't beat Auburn anyway until last year. But the thing about it was, and you saw this the next year, Ellis Johnson was the D.C. at Auburn at the time. And the head ball coach, you know, pretty much showed he could dial him up on him because he went against him in practice every day. You know, so he knew him like the back of his hand. You know, could, could that defense with Clowney and those guys, and, and it was kind of a flawed defense and to a certain extent, could they have stopped Nick Marshall and Trey Battle? And those, I mean, you know, the, what Auburn had going, the Gus Malzahn thing, probably could have slowed them. I like I would I liked Carolina's chances against that Auburn team and to score points and maybe win better than I like Missouri against that Auburn team, and certainly better than I like Carolina against Bama. So you take your chance. Well, if you go beat Auburn. At the same time, Ohio State's undefeated. Michigan State upsets them in the Big Ten championship game. Urban Meyer cries and eats a pizza, knocks them out. Auburn win the national championship game. So, theoretically, a 12-1 and South Carolina that's won the SEC championship heads to the Rose Bowl, and you got Steve Spurrier and his new team, the Gamecocks, in Pasadena, which, by the way, it's, it's a dream to see a game there, against his old nemesis, the, the Knowles, for all the marbles. And if you remember that game, Auburn gave them everything they wanted, and uh, FSU won a last-second touchdown. You better believe the head ball coach had been ready for it. You know, so 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 Tennessee in 2013, Navy in 84. If I had to rank them one-two, I'd probably say 
I probably say just because other things had to happen in in thirteen, and Carolina was really two wins away in eighty four. I probably say eighty four, but twenty thirteen game gets me too. All right, thank you, Christian Riddle says a riddle again. Thank you again. Thank you for all that, all the questions. But a lot of talk about putting things together in year two, although mostly true. Offense really has nowhere to get better. I'm concerned about the defense and the seniors and people you've used there. All right, the same question. I'm sorry I didn't answer it sooner. I'm going to tell you this right now. People need to quit talking about year two. This The, the fixes for year one are not like, gosh, we got to go recruit guys to be competitive, okay? Um, these are systemic, functional coaching issues that need to be fixed. Um, the player, like I said, again, I'm not, I'm not sitting here going, gosh, this is, this is, you know, I, I don't have expectations like when up at Clemson, like they do, you know, uh, for, for them, I'm, you know, I, I just, Carolina would be great if they could get to a bowl this year. Uh, and when you kind of look at the team and evaluate it through four games, you two thirds of the team, you know, are the two, two of the three phases of the game are doing great surpassed expectations. And even if offense just met expectations or was a little bit lower, you know, it's fine if you don't quite get there. You know, this team's three and one. Somebody asked me if Mike Bobo had stayed, and I'm not saying that Shane made a mistake by just letting Bobo go or Bobo going to Auburn. There, there was a lot that went into that, okay? Um, and I know some of you don't like Mike Bobo and don't think he could call a play or whatever, but if they were coming into this year and they were in year two of the Bobo system – them, these mistakes wouldn't be made. They'd be able to run the ball and throw it, and they'd be three and one right now. I don't know what they done against. They would done against Georgia, but the offense would not look like the dumpster fire that it is. It may not have won in Athens. It, heck, I can't say that Kentucky may not have scored more and won the game there, but we wouldn't be sitting there going, "Good God, this looks." Like, I mean, because it. It's not a junior high school offense. The the issue is is that it you know if it, if it was a junior high offense, it'd probably end up being a little more effective. <laughs> uh, it's too complicated right now, and, and I don't know what the thought process with the offensive coordinator was, and and if he thought maybe just because this this program was six and sixteen the last two years that there were no players that they're going to have to build it through recruiting anyway. But but it's it, there's no no excuse for trying to force square peg in a round hole, and that's exactly what he's done. Um, but the good news is he can change it. He can change it. All right, so that's all the tweets we have. Um, inside the game guys at gmail.com. That's the inbox as we roll on with the iHub Consulting Mailbag, the weekly wrap. Tristan says, listening to your Kentucky rap, you're 100% correct with your ideas for the offense. That's exactly what we should do if your line can't block and throw more guys in there and you bring more defenders, which clutters everything up, which means no room. Yeah, and B- Shane Beamer had a good uh, a good thought about this when they go to what's called cover two. And I'm not like I'm not an X's nose guy. I don't want to sound like an idiot here. Uh, in the bunch formation that they go to cover two and there's plays to be had. It takes guys out of the box. I guess that's a theory. I don't know. I, you know, you just kind of common sense. You look at it and you're like, there's too many people around the ball. There's no room. Uh, maybe spread it out a little more. You go four wide, five linemen. I like our chances with our backs making one guy miss and getting 10 yards, which we could see it either way. You got to do something. I agree, Tristan. 
Uh, and I said earlier in the week, spread it out and run it. Hopefully, hopefully they do. Uh, I'd either spread it out and run it, or I'd get in the daggum eye and roll. Okay, that's I, I would not let. I would not just sit there and run inside zone out of the bunch formation and let them kill me. That's just me. Jeff says the offense is a dumpster fire at best. It's likely historically one of our worst, not going to beat a dead horse. Beamer's a smart guy. And he knows this is very bad for more reasons than most see. All team sports are about matchups on offense. You won't miss matches. We have the players create those. But those OC just is not getting in the right place to create mismatches. Play calling is an art form. Agreed. We talked about artist versus engineer. Engineering versus art. Agreed. Agreed completely. And the fact is most coaches are just not very good at it. Most, so A lot of coaches are just not – Steve Spurrier type or whoever, you know, they're, they're, they're not the, they're not the Picasso, if you will. They're pretty good editorial cartoonists, you know, if that makes sense. Um, engineering guys, they, they need to go to the NFL. I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I mean, cause, cause that's what you have to do up there is engineer an offense. I think in college, it's a little bit more free. They're a handful of elite play callers and a whole bunch that are mediocre. Unfortunately, it appears ours is below average by far. We'll see what happens with the actual play calling if they do fix the issues. Um, that's why I titled this disaster on the horizon. If this isn't created immediately, this weekend they could lose the team for the season mentally. They lose this weekend and it's the, they still can't score. They're, they're going to have some tough choices to make it, to, to not lose the team mentally. Um because you get to that point, you've lost to Troy, you still can't score, you got the bulk of your schedule coming up. Uh, I'm afraid Shane Beamer's got to shake things up a lot. And I don't know, I'm not saying exactly what he needs to do, but operationally on offense, if it doesn't get better this weekend against a Sunbelt opponent who's 2-2, two and two, who can't score itself and you lose the football game, you know, that doesn't even meet the lowest standard at the University of South Carolina. And you have to meet your standard, Right. Uh, and this team's this team's worked too hard. There's too many good players, too many good people involved to let one, you know, idea about running a complex offense train wreck the whole thing. Plus, with the defense on the field for most of the game, fatigue will set in. Yes, fatigue will set in. Slew of injuries will follow. Don't say that. Don't say that. Knock on wood. Injuries are have not hurt this team this year. That could mean we've won our last game this season. That's possible. Look at the Tigers. It's happening to them as we speak. The team is spiraling down. The injuries are piling up. It's not gloom and doom. But it's what happens with teams with anemic offense, even if they start out with solid D. So my question is, do you really believe we can get this fixed soon enough? I've said how they need to fix it. And, I, and I've, I've ran that by enough people that I know, because I'm not a coach. And if I were just pulling that out of my butt, I would say – don't listen to me. <laughs> uh, but I ran it by enough people to know that's that they need to simplify the whole thing. Simplify, simplify, simplify. Every great coach does it. And it's there's no uh, there's no ego hit when you do it. Because the, the reward and your fulfillment of your ego comes when you're scoring touchdowns and points. Right? So what if you gotta strip it down and it's not quite the Panthers offense from last year? Who cares? You know, you're going to be happy when you're, you know, Kevin Harris breaks one for 65 yards or Marshawn Lloyd has a 48-yard touchdown run, even if it's out of the, the junior high school power eye. Agreed there. Thank you. Thank you. 
Jeff Tales from Willie B. The I Help Consulting Mailbag Rolls On. Tristan's got another one. Wow. Just a thought. Would it be unfair to swap out receivers after a drop? Receiver drops one. Switch to the next guy in line. And basically, you keep your spot unless you drop a pass. We'll give these other guys a shot. Let everyone know you can't tolerate it unless the guy really just doesn't know the plays or routes. I'm tired of seeing these guys drop passes. Unfortunately, they've been a part of the, the game here, Tristan, at South Carolina. But I do think they're getting better. Also, it's time to put Dak back at quarterback and keep him there. I'd be very, very concerned if they shoved him back at quarterback and expected him to run the team with all these complexities and, and all that. Um, and then the Wildcat thing has just been totally unfair and terrible. Uh, and I don't know if it's being run the right, right way or not, but that's that's a bad for, for Dakari and Joyner. Um by the way, for everybody, he doesn't go by Dak. People start, I think on a podcast, people started calling him Dak to be cool, I guess. And I, you notice I don't use the nicknames unless they've actually, you know, done it because, you know, these guys aren't my friends. Um, I'd be their friend if they want me to be their friend, but I, I don't know. I'm not going to sit there and, you know, call a guy what the other players call him, you know. But uh, he goes by DK. Or Dakarian. Um, I maybe see about defense. <sighs> he, he's, he may balk at it, but he'd be a hell of a safety, man. Hell of a safety. I saw him in high school covering guys, and he's got quick feet. He, he can move laterally for defense. I think he's pretty tough. You can still play him at Wildcat quarterback. I'd move him to safety tomorrow or ask him to. And if he didn't want to, I wouldn't bench him. You know, what I'd like to see happen is maybe DeCarrie and Joyner and Amari and Brown rotating, you know, you know, you Brown one, DK or yeah, DK one. Um, and I'd like to see EJ Jenkins play some of in, in one of the slot areas or one of the inside receiver positions. And I'd really like to see them uh, have Juju McDowell and Zaquandre White at the other one or Jaheim Bell or whoever. I mean, they're just not using – the personnel use doesn't make – it doesn't make any sense. It looks like a bad NFL team. John says, how would you rate the game day experience? Previous years and other venues outside of the crowd, the experience seems subpar. Limited replays, no coordination between band, house music video, and a host of other issues. Seems like a world of difference between Carolina games and other major football venues. What are your thoughts? I don't know why this isn't fixed. I was under the impression that the and the pregame video stuff was all right. I I think that there's you know South Carolina's issue with athletics and and this type of stuff is is like who's in charge of it, who's got maybe somebody with the rights. I don't know, but it sucks. Compared to other places, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and candy coat it. Um, I think they could do a lot better in terms of, you know, the operation of it. Um, you know, but there's some things that are cool about Carolina Stadium and make it tough to play. You got the Rooster Crow, 2001, all that, all that stuff's fine. But you know, as far as like what you're talking about, like the Stuff on the video board, the coordination, the, the the band has needed to be moved for years. Um, 
I don't know. I, I don't know who's in charge of that. And what I was told was, you know, because I was like, well, Tanner, shouldn't Tanner look into this? It's it's sort of one of those things where there's different facets, which is big surprise, you know, at Carolina that that happens. There's different facets and fiefdoms and no cohesion. Um, and they need to fix the beer line, guys. I mean, look, if one of you guys goes and waits less, get time it if you go get a beer. Not tomorrow. Next time there's a big crowd. Uh, Florida comes in, you know, time it to go get a beer and tell me how long it takes because I was worried I was going to miss a whole quarter of football. Um, so I uh, skipped the beer line while I was there. Thomas, not sure why I have so many are upset and don't get what's happening. I don't get what folks expect. When you hire an OC, you had a little on his resume, the suggestion he should be hired as an offensive coordinator in the SEC, blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to talk like that. Uh, and that's not true what you said about Doty you're not you're making things up again I mean you, you know I mean all right so here's what this the guy says right he's working with a quarterback that was so far out of the quarterback mix last year he wasn't even considered to be battling a bad right Byron Halinski and got promptly moved to wide receiver that's that's a lie that's you're making that up in your head. They uh, they thought Ryan would be the number two guy. He worked at wide receiver for like a week, eighty uh, twenty. Then went Bobo brought about a quarterback when they figured out, hey, you know, we maybe get this guy ready. And also with COVID and stuff, you never know when your thirteen quarterback's going to have to play. So that that's a lie that you're saying. It, it, that's 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 number one. It's a lie, and number two, it's completely irrelevant. What, who the hell cares what was going on last year in preseason? That was the COVID summer before a disastrous two and eight campaign. You know, that that's like sitting there saying, you know, last year, if uh, when Kevin Harris ran for 50 yards or, 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 you know, or Carolina's offense didn't do well, you know, Kevin. I don't know why you're talking about it because you have Kevin Harris who, who didn't even run for anything but with against Charleston Southern last year. Do you understand that, like, Luke Doty's got a lot better? Uh, and you're, you're going to sit there and talk about, like, you know, during a COVID year with no spring practice as a true freshman, you know, yeah, they looked at him at receiver for – because they didn't have any receivers for, like, a week. He ended up starting at the end of the year. And, and so you're going to say because of that he's not that good? I'm not answering the rest of this, Thomas. You're bad enough on the message board. Just stick to that crap. I mean, it's just – I mean, you're unbelievable. Unbelievable. I mean, I just – I actually expected more of an intelligent uh, – anyway, not going to go off anymore. I just I can't – you know, if, you, if, you, if you're going to sit there and say stuff like that, don't email me, okay? And I'm not talking about being negative or critical because I've been pretty critical, right? Um, I'm talking about using using things that don't matter, you know, to apply to the current situation. And the fact that Luke Doty was considered to be third string in the preseason last year and he played receiver for a week has nothing to do with what he is now. How stupid do you have to be to, to believe that? I'm sorry. If you graduated from the University of South Carolina, Thomas, I, I'd – I think they need to take your degree back or or whatever, you know. I'd never say anything bad about your job or anything, but, man, what's your boss think? 
do you use these critical thinking skills to do whatever you do? I know he doesn't. Thomas is, uh, for those of you that just got mad at me when you think I'm being a little unprofessional, uh, I know Thomas, he's emailed me since, since I was on the air with Corey Miller in the box in 2008. He's on my message board. He loves a good, like, circular argument. And so that's why. I mean, it, it's cool. I, I, I like the guy a lot. And uh, I don't know what I'd do without uh, folks like Thomas's fans. But come on, Thomas. I mean, it's cute, man. Come on. I think he did that just to, to hear me react to. Sean says, JC, I'm proud of how the defense is playing in terms of causing turnovers. We might have struck gold with a coordinator remains to be seen. I agree. I mean, I think because the offense is so bad, the tendency is to think that, uh, you know, the defense is the 85 Bears. They're not. But, you know, when you when, when people when people sit there and make excuses for the offense about, oh, new scheme, I mean, I couldn't – I about and, – and he probably misspoke and meant young coordinator. Uh, Marcus Satterfield in his media this week said young team. <laughs> No, you got a young quarterback. You got a veteran team, man. You know, I mean, it's been here for a while. And again, that scared me a little bit because I feel like, you know, and I don't know. I hope he doesn't. But, you know, it's not a year zero mentality where you have a year to kind of work out the kinks with this offense and nobody's going to care about winning and losing. Nobody's that stupid. Okay. This is this fan base is not a gigantic bunch of morons that, that you know, no, it's just, well, year one and blah, blah, blah. I know it's not because I deal with you guys every day. Most of you know a lot of ball, you know, and I know I deal with the diehards, but uh, no, it, it's completely unacceptable. But he said, that's what you get with a young team. You don't have a young team. You have some guys that are young, Heem Bell, Gene Bell, who needs the ball more, Marshawn Lloyd who needs the ball more. Luke Doty's a young quarterback. You got a veteran offensive line. You got veteran receivers. You got veteran tight ends that you don't use. Not a young team. Not a young team. So, and then you look on that side of the ball on defense, and Clayton White and his guys are like, well, what do we got? Well, how can we make this work and, and play winning football? And, and I guess this is the best way to describe the defense. The defense is playing winning football. In regards to the offense, Sean says everyone has to relax on Lloyd getting more carries. Rarely are backs coming off ACL injuries. Great the following year. And well, you know, I disagree. I think I think Lloyd needs more carries. Uh, he's healthy. He he he's making people miss. He's elusive. Beamer said good week of practice. The knee doesn't appear to be bothering him. Uh, so I disagree with that. I, I think he's looked better than Kevin Harris, to be honest. I'll just say it in his few appearances as far as elusiveness and getting positive yards. You know, when Kevin finds a hole and accelerates, it's awesome. But Lloyd's Lloyd's pretty good. He's ready. I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know why. But, but, I mean, I agree. Some don't. Some backs don't. Some backs do. Uh, Sonny Michelle came back from an ACL. Marcus Lattimore was good when he came back from an ACL in 2012. Um, it's usually a two-year process to gain confidence, feel themselves, unless you're Adrian Peterson. I, and I don't think that's universal. I think some, you're right. I'm not saying you're totally wrong. Doty just has to get more comfortable and hit the easy throws. I don't think they're giving him very many easy throws, man. Honestly. 
no confidence is lost there yet. Nah, he's still confident. Dodie Luke will continue to be confident. But he was third team and got moved to receiver. Thomas. By the way, get creative and get Jaheim Bell the ball. Amen, Sean. Amen. Sean into that email pretty good. I help consulting mailbag rolls on. Just want to uh, tell you again, Daniel Owens, 843-372-5713. Give I help a shot to help you save money on your business expenses. Xavier, or Clay, sorry. Why is it the Gamecock fans absolutely could not stomach a loss to Kentucky? I was talking to my friends before the season, telling them that Kentucky's a solid team, could very well lose that game, and they called me crazy. Then we lose, and people are wanting to fire coaches and losing their mind about the rest of the season. I feel like this if this loss was to Missouri or Tennessee, and they're worse than Kentucky, people wouldn't be freaking out so bad. Your thoughts, P.S. Love the show. You're the best Gamecock pod out there. Good luck. Thanks, Clay. All right, Clay, so this is why. Because South Carolina dominated. Kentucky, 13 out of 14 years. Historically, Kentucky has had a good run under Bear Bryant where they won the SEC. They were solid one a couple years under uh, Jerry Claiborne, I think, in the 80s. Then they were terrible for a long time. Rich Brooks came in after building Oregon and got them to bowls every year. Remember that? Carolina was beating them during that time, so I don't think we it registered with all of us that, hey, Rich Brooks is really doing some good things at Kentucky. Uh, Joker Phillips even went to bowl games, and then it kind of bottomed out under Joker, and then they go to uh, they go to Stoops, and it was a slow build. And Stoops tried to build it differently there than the other guys. The other guys sort of took second, or at the most second, usually second through fourth tier players out of uh, Georgia and Florida and the Carolinas, and just hope they hit. And if they got some in-state guys, great. Stoops has gone into Ohio. So what, what what Kentucky basically is now, for the most part, is a blend of what they used to be with the with the guys from the South or JUCO or wherever that they evaluate and hit on, and Michigan State. You know, they're getting the guys that Michigan State used to get and Iowa used to get out of Ohio. And, and that's – Ohio is like the breadbasket talent-wise of the Big Ten. That's big time. I mean, because those, those teams, they're the teams that come to – you don't think about it, but they come to the Outback Bowl and the, you know, the Iowas of the world or the Citrus Bowl or wherever and routinely or the Gator Bowl and beat SEC teams. So that that's why they're solid. Uh, but historic, you know, look, let's say Wake Forest was really good. In, Wake, all right, Wake Forest has been pretty good in football for the past 15 years, better than expected. Not always, but most of the time. And they've beaten Florida State quite a bit during that time when Florida State's had their issues. Um, and this year, Wake Forest is going to, uh, you know, Wake Forest actually already beat the snot out of Florida State. And Florida State clearly is not as good of a team as Wake. But you see, people are still like twice as ticked than if FSU gets beat by 21 to like NC State. And in and and, and football, college football, it's about tears and all that. I also think that when you look at well, the way Carolina's lost in this series, it's like head in hand, good Lord, you had your chances, what happened? Um, I throw last year's blowout loss to them out. Every other game has been like a what if. Every one of them. Uh, let, let, let's go back. A uh, 14 Carolina's running through them like butter 
Good game plan from G.A. Mangus. The defense, again, collapsed like that year's defense did. So you lose 45-38 in shocking fashion. 15, unfortunately, Connor Mitch started that game. He got hurt. Kentucky built a big lead, 24-7. Perry Orth leads a rally. You know, Carolina's going for two to tie it. They miss it. Kentucky intercepts. And then I think there was a pick at the end. 26-22, had your chances. 16, going in the game, Will Muschamp had no offense, really no offensive players at that point because a lot of people were hurt. McElwain and uh, Orth are starting. McElwain, did McElwain go the whole way that game? I, I don't remember uh, totally. Um, punt return, called back for a touchdown. Carolina defense couldn't stop the run at the end. All adds up to a 17-10 loss. 17 We've talked about that ad nauseum, one of the most disappointed losses. Probably the, you know, people talk about the beginning and the end of the Muschamp era. That was probably like the first red flag game because you, you miraculously got to a bowl the year before and then a, a, a surprisingly good 2-0 and start with two road wins, beating a really good NC State team in Charlotte despite only having 200 yards of offense. Uh, and then going out and, you know, taking care of Missouri about 18 on the road. And then you roll back and places packed, and yeah, you're finally gonna break this streak against Kentucky, and you score on the first play, and you got a pick, and then boom, the, the life goes out. 2018, you had your chances. AJ Turner falls down for what have been a touchdown. Jake Bentley's off, and when he wasn't off, the receivers were dropping passes. It was the exact same game plan that Carolina had for Clemson that year, where they had 500 yards of off or 500 yards passing. And 600 yards of offense. And they couldn't connect. Wow. You know, like a leprechaun thing. 19, Carolina won. So there you go. Order is restored. And then 20, I didn't count. And then this year, three turnovers to none. Kentucky puts it on the ground. Your offense can't go anywhere. You score on the first drive of the second half and get nothing. And your defense is playing its ass off and, and you lose. And, you know, Kentucky's not the greatest defensive team like they have been this year so or in previous years. So that's why. Um, and I don't think it's cool to lose to Missouri either. I don't, I don't think anybody likes that either. I mean, I think uh, those games have been extremely frustrating, including last year's. So, you know, Kentucky, Missouri, Tennessee, because of Tennessee – and look, I'll use this other thing. Clay. Tennessee doesn't like to lose South Carolina either. You know, they're shocked. You know, even when Carolina's been – you know, considerably better. Oh, why did we lose to South Carolina? So that's just this kind of tears thing. But, you know, hey, look, I, I'm probably going to chalk up next year's game in Lexington as a loss. <laughs> I just – it's just like, wow, you know. Um, unless uh, somebody gets fired like Miami and Mark Stoops goes there. Powell says, thanks all you – or Joseph, sorry. Thanks for all you do. I live in Spartanburg, not far from Burns. Seems to me last year our offensive line was aggressive and pulled, and we doubled down and blew people off the ball. They did. This year it seems like they're allowing the defense to dictate where they're going and trying to ride them out of the play. Yeah, and I don't understand that. Played high school linebacker and played teams that had smaller linemen. They typically cut blocked. Yeah, that the, the cut blocking them uh, until what, like Wofford and Citadel of Georgia Tech. They, yeah, you can't really – people don't like to do that. Uh 
it's it's effective at times, but the, the cut blocking thing. Anyway, it seems our offensive line, or at least Harris, are better suited for downhill attacking running back approach. I think Bobo would use motion, different formations, get him off balance. We'd overwhelm that side. Harris would be gone. The benefit of it is the back has a good idea where the hole is, and there isn't any hesitation. Joseph, I completely agree with you. Please send this to Marcus Satterfield. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, you know, like I said, they got to find a way to run the football. And if you got to go do that and if you're not, you know, I mean, I'm sure power is in the playbook. I mean, you know, they have this thing called the guys, my exes and those guys on the message board call it duo. Then, then freaking duo it up. Because you're you're not the inside zone is just it's it's not working you know with the way you're trying to block it or tell the guys to block it it ain't working and all these slide protections and crap but it's not working get a hat on a hat and you know hey you, you, you know theoretically if you could execute all this you, you, it would be great but you can't you got to run what your players can do and I hope I see that. Duncan, can you have a uh, quick ballpark recruiting for the likes of Blanton, Barham, and Antonio Williams? Blanton, I saw somebody say Ole Miss the other day. I think he's still up in the air. I, you know, if he keeps not being committed and he's come to South Carolina a bunch, you know, the longer it goes, the more I think the Gamecocks are, you know, right there. I'd love to see him land him. Deshaun Barham, uh, mom and he had a great official visit. It's Carolina and Penn State. Antonio Williams just hope that uh, Clemson does not offer – I've thrown in my t- – and he goes on to say, I've thrown in the towel on our chances at Delp, but wondering about our chances for those three. Delp's coming this weekend, so I, I think Carolina will take its best shot, shoot for the moon, see what happens. You know, it may help him a little bit that Georgia's got this uh, stud freshman tight end. They got another stud sophomore tight end that was hurt that allows this guy. So, you know, maybe anything. I, Oscar Delp. Is a South Carolina a Gamecock legacy. He's got he has a Clemson in his family too. He has South Carolina uh, ties and all that. But you have to understand the kid grew up in Georgia. You know, it's like Christian Robinson a couple of years ago, and all his friends are going to Georgia. Everybody in Georgia loves Georgia. Go dogs! You know, he's a Georgia kid. So I, you know, I can't can't blame him if he goes to UGA uh, for reasons beyond football. Not to mention they're they're rolling right now. Duncan, I really appreciate your email. Uh, please do not be a stranger here in the IELT Consulting mailbag. Sawyer, thanks for all you do, the podcast. Um, and okay, uh, all right, sorry about that. Sawyer, I will respond to your email. Um... Cartwright, instead of going after our O-line and OC, OC and O-line coach, I'm not, I'm not even – like, look, I'm not saying Greg Atkins is his position. He's responsible. He had a really good offensive line at Marshall last year. They didn't look anything like this group with the the, the ballet and stuff they look like they're trying to do out there. Uh, he's a grizzled vet. Maybe he's having trouble teaching it. I mean, you know, if you've never – if you've only taught Algebra one and Algebra two. And somebody hands you a calculus book and says, go teach calculus. How, how successful do you – are you going to be like Squilante from Stand and Deliver? No. <laughs> you know, so I don't I don't even know if I blame Greg Atkins. 
I hope I said his name right. Is it Squillante? I think so. Um, what do you, I see? So Cartwright says, what do you think about this screenshot below? I think making adjustments can still hold the coaches accountable. Allows me to give more grace to the staff. I'm opening this. Something. All right. So uh, this is from the rubber chickens. Oh, those guys are such cheerful people. Walking. All right. Wounded walking. So all right. So he goes, something I have to continue to remind myself is how playing with and or recover from injuries can impact a player. I've been disappointed. We haven't seen the explosive Marshawn Lloyd this season that we're all expecting. What the hell do you expect? He hasn't had any room to run. I'm not talking to you, Cartwright. I'm talking to whoever wrote this. Uh, but we're clear to play players come back from an ACL, particularly running backs, often aren't the same for two years. I wonder if this was our emailer that emailed us because he said the same thing. Everyone keeps saying Kevin Harris doesn't look the same, and he doesn't. Twice on Saturday night, he was stonewalled by a guy. His size are smaller. He would have steamrolled last season. And I think this is a kind of a – Kevin Harris is good at breaking tackles. Don't get me wrong, and he's a physical runner. Don't get me wrong about that either. Um, and, and I think I, I think people need to back up if you're sitting here talking about the running backs. Uh, I'm not saying there's no validity to Kevin Harris doesn't look like Kevin Harris, but you have to understand the crap that's going on with the blocking and the play calling and all that. Um, I'll say this, Kevin Harris last year was number two in the SEC in yards before contact. And what that means is that's not him breaking tackles. That's not him running over people. That's blocking and play calling. Um, Now, I'm not, you know, against Kentucky, I remember he pushed the pile and all that. But just because he's big doesn't – I've never seen him run over somebody. You know, like flat out run out, bulldoze people. You know, maybe it's happened. I don't know. But he's more of a hit the hole like you're shot out of a cannon, boom type of guy, in my opinion. He's not, he's not a run. He's not like a, who were some guys that would run you over at Carolina? Corey Boyd, Andrew Pennock, those guys. And then there was a case of Luke Doty. There was fear that Doty had broken his foot in preseason practice. We were told it was a sprain. He would be out. Back in there, she's oh, and here, here's my favorite thing, right? But now it turns out his foot was broken. What we have to be careful, and you know, no offense to the rubber chickens or ever wrote this, but you know, because they're just out there doing it for fun and they don't have to really adhere, explain, or anything. Um, you know, they can sit there and you know, trash people on Twitter all day, that's fine. Uh, I, uh, you know, with the broken thing, okay, there's 26 bones. Cartwright in the human foot. One of those bones is cracked. Okay. So when you think of a broken foot, what I think of is like Jake Bentley's Liz Frank injury that basically almost broke, you know, broke his foot, foot, not broke a bone in the foot, not have a crack. This, this injury. So that's what I think of when I think of broken foot, this injury, I guess, technically a crack is a break. Correct. Um, it's like Connor Shaw's in 2012. Now, Connor had to miss the Clemson game that year. Connor had to go sit down in the Outback Bowl. Dylan Thompson saved the day both times. Um, but Connor played, and he played well. Anybody at the Georgia game that year? You know? Uh, uh, so, I think much is being made of it because the the, the term broken foot 
sounds so dramatic, you know. So, so, so there's a lot that I don't agree with here at all. Um, I, I think it's just you could dig into the running backs all you want. Um, I promise you, if Marshawn Lloyd got 20 carries, he'd probably have more yards than Kevin Harris, just because when you look at him play and you evaluate, if you know what you're looking at when you evaluate. You look at his footwork and his elusiveness and all that. He's been close. But just like with Harris, there's no room to run. And you've got these guys. And look, am I saying that Marshawn Lloyd post-ACL is just as good as, you know, Marshawn Lloyd after ACL? Um, I don't know that because I didn't see him run in college before he tore his ACL. But it wasn't a particularly bad ACL tear. It was a non-contact drill and all that. I think when the kid uh, broke into the open against Eastern Illinois, if he had played last year, that dude, he's scoring. He's cutting it back inside the score. But I think he got excited. He's an excited kid. He loves to compete. That's why it just kills me that you're like, okay, well, let's just pound Kevin Harris into this wall of man. And, uh, oh, whoa, whoa, we feel bad because McDowell didn't get any carries last week, and we'll just uh, we'll let him get the bulk of the carries. And, you know, maybe Lloyd once and, you know, Saquandre White, the heck with you. I mean, that, it's just – it's been poor personnel use. Uh, I think that's kind of a lesser issue than the assignment issue, communication issue, play design calling issue with the offense. But all that ties together. All that ties together. Um, And I'll say this, you know, great coaches or coaches that are good, they do what their players can do, they find what their players can do, and they execute it and they rep it and they teach it and they teach things their players can learn and they put their best players in position to make plays. When you start seeing guys that, you know, like a Jaheim Bell that doesn't give but one touch or target or whatever – in a game uh, when you're struggling and you're continuing to slam it inside, uh, that's not good. It's not sound. And I'm not the only one that thinks that. If I was just standing on an island, I would probably not say it. But thanks, Cartwright. I appreciate you, buddy. Uh, please continue to email me. Justin says, hey, JC, what do you think is more likely to be successful, a successful offensive coordinator in college, a successful offensive high school coach or a coach coming down from the NFL? What is your reasoning behind your answer? Uh, Mr. White, I, I don't I say thanks, Mr. White. Um, it depends. It depends. Uh, I think it depends on what they run. If the, uh, So I think that the, the high school guy brings his high school offense to college High school offenses are easy to learn. High school offenses have been, you know, successful uh, in college a lot. Yeah, that's going to work. You know, I, I think if the guy's a good play caller, if he's not, he's not. Um, but you see it for in the state of Texas, you know, their high school ranks have produced a crap ton of college coaches. They've had no trouble making the transition. Whereas if you kind of look at your, your normal college coach that calls plays, that goes to the pros, they don't always work out. Some of them do. Some, a lot of them don't. Look at Spurrier and Bobby Petrino. I mean, you know, these days I think they got a better shot at working out. 
Um, but, but you get up there and the system's going to be more complex. It's that engineering thing I talked about. It's that not a moving parts because you have to have that and you have time to do it. You're working on ball all day. These guys got 20 hours a week. They got class. They got study. I mean, it's, uh, it's college. Um, but I'll say this, you know, an NFL coach comes down that's real sharp at calling ball plays. Like, let's say, you know, Sarkeesian went back to Bama from the Falcons, scaled it back to a college-style offense, easy to learn, easy to go. He was masterful. You know, Joe Brady, I think Steve Ensminger helped him with kind of implementing that plan for college, masterful. Um, Bill O'Brien's doing a great job at Alabama this year. When he was at Penn State with much less talent, did a great job calling plays. Um, but, but you just have to understand where you're at. And you, you can't let ego get in the way. Um, that that's where coaches mess up, I think, because I, I don't I'm not questioning anybody's football knowledge. They've forgotten more about ball and scheme and X's and O's and everything, really, in personnel, whatever, than, than I will ever know as far as the theory behind it, philosophy, what's what's good, what's not. But but I think they fall in love with things and they won't let them go. And it's, that's just like in any profession. When you fail is when you're not adaptable. When you fail is when you let, and this is in any, any profession, when you let uh, your ego uh, and, and doing things exactly your way, uh, when they're clearly not working, uh, take down the entire ship. You know what? If you're, a, if you're a ship boat captain, right, and you're captain of the boat, um. Let's just say, yeah, captain of the boat. And you're like, well, this is the course I've plotted out. You know, say it's before radar or whatever, back when they had sails. And, you know, you're looking at the map and you're, you're you know, sailing to Bermuda or wherever, like off the coast of Carolina. Maybe you're a pirate. Maybe you're like, arr, arr, here we go to sea. We're going to pillage and plunder Bermuda. And you, you leave Myrtle Beach or wherever and you go, you're on the ocean. All of a sudden, the weather gets bad because there's a hurricane. And you're like, oh, well, this, this map's really going to do me no good. But I, debate, I'm, I spent all this time plotting this map, right? So we're just going to go forward and through the ocean and uh, the hurricane. And then the next thing you know, Discovery Channel has a special uh, when they got a sub that's down at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, you know, it was one of those yellow things with the lights on it, you know, you know with the, the Discovery Channel, the depths of the ocean or whatever. And uh, they're, they're looking at your skull and maybe a medallion that hasn't quite eroded away. Uh, and it's 2021, and this was in, you know, 1710. And there you go. And that's what you get for not being adaptable. And so with that, I will end this week's outstanding uh, pre-game coverage of Troy and South Carolina. I'm telling you this, it, it, Troy, I never thought going into this year, and there's a lot of things college football-wise. By the way, check out J.C. and Morgan. We talk about it being the chaos year. Uh, check out thebigspur.com. We've talked about this all week. Um, but I did not picture going into this Carolina football season the, the most entertaining, the most dynamic, the most, I don't want to say controversial, but uh, spirited discussions and takes and opinions would come during Troy week, you know, (laughs) 
But that's where we're at, folks. That's where everything's at. And so I hope you guys enjoy the game and enjoy the weekend and spend time with your family. I know I'm going to spend time with mine. I'm going to go kiss my girlfriend right now and uh, enjoy everything once I get this up. But, um, again, like I said earlier, sorry for the mailbag delay, but it was an epic episode answering all those questions. I love them. Keep them coming. Uh, if you send me one between now and after the game, I'm not going to answer it because if it's a pregame question, um, but I'll answer every, you know, so, so we'll open the mailbag back up theoretically. Um, and that's inside the game at gmail.com and at the Bixburg pod, the I help consulting mailbag. We'll open that up theoretically like, um, after after the game's over, after it goes final. And again, I predicted 17-12 Carolina, but I'm just if my prediction comes true, it's gonna be a long week next week. Because you, you know what, Carolina, I'll tell you this right now before we get off. Carolina is a better team, football team than Tennessee. And they were last year too. Um, and maybe the year before, but Tennessee kind of caught fire that game. But they will not win that football game, and they will lose a third straight to Tennessee if things do not change dramatically on offense. And that sucks. If you're the rest of the team, a fan, if you're like me and have to talk about it, because, I, you know, you guys are much happier when Carolina wins. Uh, and, and, but that's next week. So you got to get by Troy first. And Like I said, I hope I hope we're sitting here – Next week, and then I have 49 nothing great, you know, and then you yeah, have plenty of momentum and confidence uh, heading up to Knoxville. But I'll, 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 I'll add this, too. Even if it's a big win and you're still seeing these mental mistakes, you can get by with them against the Sun Belt team, but not with the SEC. But that's a discussion for next week, folks. I certainly appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in. Inside the Game Guys podcast, week wrap, I help consulting mailbag. Holla at you next week.